minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
so hard to see the brighter side of things but when i look i find you master of everything the sunshine the thunder don't makes me wonder what tomorrow's gonna bring so i sing to you yeah i can spend forever singing for your name because everything gets better the more i grow and change the sunshine the thunder it all makes me wonder So I sing to you. I thank you
not something so easy to look at just where I've been. But if I'm all too busy, I gotta start thinking. Wake up from my slumber, climb out from under the darkness that I'm in. So I can sing to you. Pnei 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos Shira. Were you able to tell from the uh, musical selections? Erev Shabbos Shira here at the J.M. in the A.M. And, oh boy, I lost my, there we go. Lost the playlist there for a second. Uh, Erev Shabbos Shira here at J.M. in the A.M. With the Rabbi's Sons and Az Yashin. I didn't hear the entire uh, Erev Shabbos show, which uh, again will be uh, presented at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Thank you, Mark Zomik. Thank you to our friends at Kedem. I didn't hear the entire uh, Erev Shabbos show, but I'm wondering if uh, Mark got that tune onto the playlist during the Erev Shabbos show. Az Yashir from the Rabbi's Sons. 
Knowing him, I bet you he did. Uh, Proke and Likrat Shabbat done by Shlomo Katz. I know a lot of people are anxious to hear about the project we have going with Shlomo Katz, and you will eventually. Ari Goldwag, Ashira, Micha Mocha, done by Shalsheles and Aryeh Kunstler. Aryeh Kunstler's Az Yashir, and of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this January the 14th, day 12 of the month of Shvat, the year 5782, Tavshin Pei Beis. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Bishalach, Erev Shabbos Shira, with candle lighting time at 432 in New York on this Erev Shabbos. 432 is official candle lighting time. Mazal Tov to those who've completed Dafyomi Meseches Megillah, Hatzlach Harabah to those who are starting Moed Katan today. Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. We also know that there's a, a tremendous surge out there in Mishnah Yomi. Uh, we are very aware of it. And we will concentrate on it uh, at some point next week because apparently there is a, a switch of Mesechtos uh, coming up in Mishnah Yomi uh, next week. Uh, significant switch, and we'll explain what we mean uh, during that conversation. Anyway, so we will concentrate on some of that next week here at JM. Monday is Tu Bishvat. Our Tu Bishvat special will air between 6 and 9 a.m. We will try to do the best job possible. Right, Benji Kramer is going to join us, of course. With a Meir Meilim segment, which he does Mondays at 9 a.m. in memory of Mayor Weingarten. And uh, look, our usual Tubishvat special was, in fact, me and Mayor Weingarten uh, co hosting uh, all these years. He is now lo- no longer with us, so we will try to adjust accordingly. We will have some of the uh, uh, segments of yesteryear. We will include in this year's Tubishvat special. We felt that was appropriate. And obviously, we'll speak to you live Monday morning as well. So get ready to celebrate Tu Bishvat, everybody, this coming Monday right here between 6 and 9 at JM in the AM. 40 degrees, windy weather, and a high temperature of 41. Clear tonight, low 16. It's going to be a cold Shabbos. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high 23 degrees. Yushalayim is at 47. We're at 40 here in New York City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. Again, a reminder, those of you out there who are... um, Those of you out there who are... uh, uh, not Well, I can't say not used to because it's been a lot of weeks already. But those of you out there who find it challenging <laughs> when candle lighting is early, I remind you that uh, we're at 432 in the New York area. Uh, make sure to uh, arrange your Friday accordingly. More coming up, the Shira Hadasha Boys Choir at JM in the AM.
Oh, you can't. 
Cole know our boys choir with their us just here, but I think we have to uh, save that for the seven o'clock hour. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be a good programming move, I would guess, at this point, since we're about to hit the top of the hour here <laughs> at uh, JM in the AM. Uh, before that, you heard the us uh, here done by uh, Avner Levy, Adya Avar from our good friend Dove Levine, Piamenta with us Yashir, Shira Hadasha boys choir with us Yashir, the Rabbi's sons, and their us Yashir, as we pointed out before uh, as well. Here at JM and the AM. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos Parsha's Bishalach. It's Erev Shabbos Shira. Candlelighting in New York, 432. Monday is 2 Bishvat. Keep that in mind. We'll be here between 6 and 9 a.m. And I certainly hope you'll be participating with us in the 2 Bishvat special. Obviously a little different than uh, it's been in past years because of the passing of my dear co-host uh, Mayor Weingarten. But um, 
We're going to try our best on this coming Monday to Bishvat to celebrate together, and I certainly hope you'll be part of the action with us between 6 and 9 a.m., even though it is a legal holiday for some here in the United States of America. Nonetheless, I hope you'll be tuned in and uh, we'll celebrate the holiday with us. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSingle.com, on the AlchemSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. Go to kosherdogs.net. Make sure to use promo code radio for your... Uh, 10% discount. You know what the, What I always say, you go to the A&H website, make sure to always use promo code radio. Galay Tal in the background, we'll do our news from Israel coming up. Full schedule today here at the Nahum Siegel Network, as you would suspect. Uh, we do have a brand new table for two coming up with Naomi Nachman. Naomi Nachman and table for two is coming up starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time. In fact, Naomi's going to join us in the 8 o'clock hour to discuss it. On... Um, at, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, that's at 9 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, it's the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kedem. Erev Shabbos music mix with Kedem all through the day. Our final hour with Kedem at about 3.30 Eastern time. And a whole bunch more. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and with uh, Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. On Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday. And I thank Matis for the incredible streak of JM Sunday live presentations. It's pretty amazing, frankly. Uh, and I thank him very much for that. That's happening at 7 a.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday morning. It's a Friday, JM in the AM, Erev Shabbos Shira. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Harry Rothenberg on the way with a nice Tavar Torah and much, much more. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JM in the AM. ליצאל השעה שתיים של עומריו באולפן אל עזר בן לולו עם מה שקורה עכשיו. הממשלה צפויה לאשר בשבוע הבא את הקמת ועדת חקירת בפרשת הצוללות וכלי השייט, כך מאשר גורם בממשלה. במהלך השבוע תחתם העסקה עם הגרמנים, ולאחר מכן הממשלה תאשר את הוועדה. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרה וולברג מוסרת כי הפרטים נסגרו בין ראש הממשלה בנט, שר החוץ לפיד, שר הביטחון גנץ ושר המשפטים סער. כתבנו לעיני צבא וביטחון דורון קדוש מוסיף כי בתנועה לאיכות השלטון והפורום הביטחוני מברכים על ההחלטה וצפויים להפגין כמתוכנן מחר בצאת השבת סמוך לביתו של לפיד. הזינוק בתחלואה מספר חולי הקורונה מאושפזים באורח קשה ממשיך להאמיר ועומד עתה על 306 מהם כמעט 80 מונשמים. אתמול הובחנו כ-40 אלף מאומתים חדשים וכמעט 7 אלפים אנשי צוות רפואי שוהים בבידוד. כך מעדכן כתבנו לענייני בריאות שי פרידמן. מדד המחירים לצרכן עלה בחודש דצמבר בשלוש עשיריות האחוז והשלים עלייה של שני אחוזים ושמונה עשיריות האחוז מתחילת השנה. עליות בולטות נרשמו בסעיף הלבשה והנעלה שעלו ביותר מאחוז ומדד הדיור שעלה בשמונה עשיריות האחוז. ירידת מחירים נרשמה במדד ירקות ופירות טריים בשני אחוזים ושבע עשיריות האחוז, ידיעה שהעבירה כתבתנו עינב קרנר. משרד החקלאות מעדכן כי הושגה שליטה על התפרצות שפעת העופות שפגעה בכ-20 מוקדי לולים ברחבי הארץ ובאגורים באגמון החולה. כתבנו בדרום רמי שני מציין כי המאמץ עתה ממוקד בביצוע פעולות חיטוי וניטור. 
המשרד יגבש תוכנית התאוששות והיערכות לעונת הנדידה הבאה ויקיים תחקיר מעמיק לצורך הפקת לקחים. במקביל, רשות החירום הלאומית תקיים תחקור של הנושא. לרגל ט"ו בשבט, אלפי קהילות יהודיות תציינה בסוף השבוע הזה את השבת הבינלאומית להעלאת מודעות לקיימות וסביבה. דובי פריצקי, מהקרן הקיימת לישראל, מסר לכתבנו לענייני תפוצות אבית ארבעון, מטרת המיזם להוביל שיח יהודי על ההתמודדות של האקלים. התחזית, שבת חורפית בפתח, תחול ירידה בטמפרטורות שתהיינה נמוכות מהרגיל לעונה, גשמים מלווים בסופות רעמים ירדו בצפון הארץ ובמרכזה. קיים חשש שיטפונות במדבר, במדבר יהודה ובים המלח. בחרמון ירד שלג, האתר יהיה סגור למבקרים היום וגם מחר. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, שבת שירה, פרשת בשלח. בירושלים ב-4 ו-17 דקות, בתל אביב ב-4 38, בחיפה ב-4 25, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-4 ו-40. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר בערב, בירושלים ב-5 36, בתל אביב ב-5 37, בחיפה ב-5 35, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת מחר בערב ב-5 38. לכל מאזיננו שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
was reading about the uh, number of COVID cases in Israel right now. And they are expecting that number to get to 2 million. They are expecting that number to get to 2 million. If I, if I read it correctly, I think I read it correctly. I'll tell you in a second if I read it correctly. <laughs> I think they said that they are expecting the COVID cases in Israel. Let's see. Um... As the Omicron coronavirus variant continues to rapidly spread across Israel, the health ministry Sunday reported a steep rise in serious coronavirus cases, climbing from 172 to 205. Out of those severely ill, 48 are connected to ventilators. Where did I see the um, the figure 2 million? I don't know where I saw that. Um... Not sure where I saw that. Just looking quickly right now. Anyway, the reason I played that song, Rafaenu, is because a lot of people just, just want to get better already, to say the least. And uh, and uh, therefore, we're wishing everybody a refuah shlema, those who are in the throes of COVID and those who are in the aftermath of COVID because it seems like uh, for some of us this aftermath is lasting a little too long frankly um, uh, here it is a team of researchers from, researchers from Hebrew University who are advising the coronavirus cabinet presented on Tuesday updated models that show that if the current wave of transmission continues Israel will see new cases peak at 800,000 to 2 million in approximately two weeks Wow. That is some statistic. So, oh, and by the way, I just read this morning, I think it was the Jerusalem Post, I read this morning of a new sub-variant of Omicron discovered in Israel. So, who knows, who knows? The one above controls everything, and boy, are we learning that lesson. Uh, Hershey Rosenbaum with Rifa Ainu Az Yashir was done by the Cold Noir Boys Choir. Harry Rothenberg always has something interesting to say about the week's Parsha. It is Parsha's B'Shalach, Shabbos Shira. Here is Harry Rothenberg at JM in the AM. When I was two years old, my father went on a walk with a friend and they found a stray cat. They brought it home and my parents decided that I could keep it as a pet. And they gave me the opportunity to name my new pet. I was two years old and I came up with this, I don't want to brag, but I came up with this incredibly creative name. I called my new pet cat Caddy. I'm sure that at two, I did not realize the meaning of that name. She, frankly, was a little catty, 
Um, but two years old, what are you gonna come up with? So I called the cat Caddy, okay? And for the next 12 years, my pet cat, until I was 14 years old when she passed away, was Caddy at my bedside. Why am I telling you this story? Because if I asked you why in this week's Torah portion, when the manna falls from heaven, why was it called manna? Why did the Jewish people give it the name mun? Interestingly, the commentators have a debate about this. One commentator says because the word mun means food. They called it food. It was food from heaven. Another commentator says, no, mun means gift. It was a gift from heaven. So that's why they called it mun. A third commentator says, no, you're both wrong. And I'll prove it to you. The passage says that when the mun first fell from heaven, landed on the ground, the Jews saw it in the morning, and each one said to the other, mun who? because they did not know what it was, so they called it mun. Now, if it meant food, why would you call it food if you don't know what it is? If I wake up in the morning, walk outside, and on my front lawn, there's this fascinating, weird, strange substance covered in dew, my first reaction, my first instinct is not going to be, why don't I eat it, see how it tastes? Also, why would you call it a gift? Maybe it's poison. The passage says they did not know what it was, so why are they naming it? So instead, this third commentator says, mun is an Egyptian word. It means the same as ma in Hebrew. It means what? So this is how you read that passage. Each one looked at the other and they said, what is that? Because they did not know what it was. So mun means what? The problem with that explanation is later when they named it, why would they name it mun meaning what? Why would you name this food, this miraculous gift from heaven, what? That's an awfully weird name. That's even worse than calling a cat, catty. And you don't know the excuse that you're only two years old. They were older and wiser than that. So maybe we can suggest the following. Maybe they called it what? Because they wanted to recapture that original reaction. When they first saw that mon, they didn't say, what's that? They said, what is that? I mean, the substance is covering the wilderness as far as the eye can see. What in the world is that? They've never seen anything like it before. It's an incredible sense of wonder when they find out that it's food, miraculous food from heaven, and it's time to name it. Maybe they want to recapture that sense of wonderment and that sense of gratitude to God. You know what? Let's call it what? Let's recapture that original what in the world is that? And if that's the case, then what a great takeaway lesson for us, because that's how we should feel about everything we have in life. Everything. What? What did God do for me? The roof over my head, the food I eat, the clothes on my body, the friends that I have, the relatives that I have, the income that I make, everything that I have in life. Wow, what an incredible gift from God. Come on, tell me, kill it, you
Aziv Zimrasko, Vayili Lishuo, Aziv Zimrasko, Vayili Lishuo, Ushavtem Mayim Zazon, Mimayte Ayishuo, Ushavtem Mayim Zazon. Oh, oh, oh. 
Composed by Zevi Weinstock, produced by uh, Ellie Schwebel, and uh, starring both uh, Ari Zucker and Zevi Weinstock. Anim Zmiros, brand new here at JMNAM. Ozzy Razimraska, words from Oz Yashir with the Diaspora Yeshiva Band. Benny Landau's Kedem, Tamid Yesh Siba, it's brand new Mordechai Shapiro to open up the hour. Friday morning, oh, not the hour, but uh, after uh, Harry Rothenberg's presentation. Friday morning broadcast, JMNAM, and this Arab Shabbos Parsha's Bishalach, Shabbos Shira. Monday is our Tubishvat special, candle lighting at 432 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 432 is official candle lighting 
here in the New York area. Mazal Tov to those who have completed Meseches Megillah in Nadaf Yomi. Hatzlacha to those who are starting Moed Katan. Moed Katan officially begins today. And we are planning, we are planning with our friends who uh, are part of that uh, amazing, um, what's the word, partnership regarding Mishnah Yomi. We are planning a Mishnah Yomi um, um, feature Next week here at JM in the AM, it is a very interesting story from a lot of different perspectives. We'll try to cover as much of it as possible uh, next week here at JM in the AM. And again, Monday is to Bishvat. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique Items. Visit them at the website, kosherdogs.net. Make sure to use promo code radio when you order to save 10%. And uh, try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. That I can tell you. And they have amazing, an amazing display, by the way, at Aaron's Casino Farms. A lot of other places as well. But they have an amazing display at Aaron's Casino Farms. So the next time you're there in Queens, check them out. You'll be glad you did. Windy today with a high of 41. Clear skies tonight, low 16. Tomorrow, partly cloudy. A high shop is just 23 degrees. 47 right now in Yushalayim. We're at 40 in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Wow. Uh, Malcolm Holmline coming up. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll do the weekly update here at JM. The Rabbi Yudin, I believe, is still in Israel and is going to address us from the Holy Land, which is really cool. Naomi Nachman will join us before the end of the show as we talk about the brand new season of Table for Two, which continues today at 9 a.m. And a reminder that Kedem presents the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, and that starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time right here at JM in the AM. More coming up at JM in the AM.
We're not ready yet to announce the uh, the joint project between the Nachum Single Network and Shlomo Katz, but we're getting closer, and some people have actually guessed pretty well, I must say. But we'll have that info for you uh, in the next few days, please, God. Lechadodi done by Avi Hess. You heard Zevi Weinstock and Ari Zucker together with Anim Zmiros. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos B'Shalach. Erev Shabbos Shira. Candle lighting at 432 in New York. Make sure you know when things start. Where you are, Monday's Tu Bishvat, our Tu Bishvat special between 6 and 9 on Monday morning here at JM in the AM. Um, don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. JewishWorldReview.com, a great resource to print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about what's happening in Israel and the Jewish world. JewishWorldReview.com. Check them out. You'll be glad to include them in sites that you check Every single day. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. No, thank you. It's good to be with you again. Appreciate that. Nice to have you on. The um, You know, someone asked me this question this week, and I thought it was legitimate to uh, uh, to bring up to you since you know him so long. Um, the, uh, many commentators are... Um, are um, speaking about how different the President of the United States is than he was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago while serving in the halls of Congress. So you know him pretty well. Uh, does it surprise you that he says and now holds as policy some of the things that he does? Um, look, people change over time. There's, I've known him since, I think, 1978 wow. and um, met him with him many, many times as vice president, as uh, chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, as if even from his freshman term as a senator. Uh, we worked together on some stuff. We argued about others. But, um, uh, I t- you know, there's been very little personal exposure to the president to be able to judge. And, you know, we will see. People have to draw their own conclusions. 
Damn, that's an understatement. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it seems, and I'm hoping people draw the right conclusions, but we'll see. Who knows what's right at, all, at this point anymore? Um, it seems an Omicron subvariant has been found in Israel, and I also read a report this week. Uh, that there's a conjecture or an analysis by one of the uh, research institutes at Hebrew University that the number of cases in Israel could rise to anywhere from 800,000 to 2 million. Not that I need you uh, to, <laughs> to, um, uh, to, to um, uh, bring us down even more, those of us who have had it over the last two years with uh, COVID and Omicron, but... Um, uh, how serious is uh, the news out of Israel? I mean, could this actually uh, get to the numbers they're talking about, and could this actually lead to even more variants at this point? Well, there are new variants that are being uncovered all the time. In, in uh, Cyprus, there's one that's a, a merger of COVID-19 and uh, Omicron. There are others that, uh, I mean, Delta and and, uh, uh, and Omicron. So, there will be variations, no doubt. I think the number you cited is an underestimate of what they anticipate um, the new numbers, the multiple numbers of Israel uh, over the next uh, couple of months. They say two to four million people. Wow. But some think it's a good thing because then you get moved towards what they call herd immunity. Others say that the uh, question whether that's, uh, that's valid, uh, the fact that uh, most are not very serious or don't appear to be that serious is uh, is a positive but there's still a lot of people being hospitalized there's still a lot of the ICU units are are being stretched um, elective uh, surgeries which for some people won't consider elective are being put off so there is a heavy toll that it takes and uh, you know people even if they're not deathly sick as much as with the Delta they're still sick and people are missing work, and people are impacted in in many ways. And thank God, Israel's economy seems to have been you know, is very strong. There was over two billion dollars in investments in December in high tech, and the, the numbers continue to astound. Um, but uh, ultimately, it, it takes a toll on every economy. Yeah, I know you're not the one to complain to, but uh, you're the one on the air right now, <laughs> and so many people are just you know have been are fed up with this whole thing already. And the whole situation, and I know that you know there's some benefits. A lot less traffic out there as people are taking off from work and staying home. But aside from that, I mean, there are not many benefits to this whole situation. And and it's the it's the prospect of the future variants, some of which you just you know mentioned. It's the prospect of those you know having the same type of effect, or again causing lockdowns, or you know even leading to uh, you know to a, to another uh, a round of uh, transmission. And, uh, you know, when you say, let's get to the point of herd immunity or there are those who think it's a good thing that we might get there, I hope that that herd immunity is going to protect all of us from whatever future variants come, because otherwise, what's it worth if not? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the um, positivity rate in Israel is growing quickly. It is here, too. And um, I, I, I'm not an advocate about the herd, uh, herd immunity because I don't know enough. And I, it seems to me that uh, you can get a doctor or some expert to say anything of the things that you already believe. Um, but the, um, the, there were six fatalities yesterday in 24 hours in Israel. And this is um, you know, the Ministry of Health doesn't report it, but others uh, the radio reports those things so people shouldn't think there are no lethal consequences yet 
even if it's uh, the numbers are smaller. And of course, everybody's had compromises and uh, situations, but. I, I think that we don't understand yet the long-term consequences, how it has changed the workplace, how it has changed people's habits about, you know, the fact that we can't get nurses and that the institutions are, are begging for staff and paying outrageous amounts um, to uh, in certain areas just to get workers to, to do the day-to-day stuff that people used to gladly do. Um, the office... People are not going into the office. I think these will be long-term changes, I think. Yeah, I guess so. We're going to have to learn to live with all of them. Uh, these friendly fire episodes in Israel are the worst, right? I mean, with Horrific. The, I mean, it, it's heartbreaking. And uh, this one, of course, misidentification and just a, a terrible mistake. And, uh, and, and two of the finest, again, always talk about the finest, uh, taken from us and buried yesterday in uh, military cemeteries in Israel. When they talk about the... Um, the the trust in the IDF and its leadership are they talking about episodes like this or is there's more to that whole story that keeps coming out? Oh, I don't know yet on this. There's still an investigation about what happened. Uh, it's not the first or the last, unfortunately, but it's it's so tragic. And you know, it's one thing if somebody's uh, killed in a battle, and you know, it's ho- horrific and painful. But when it's uh, something unnecessary like this, then it raises a lot of questions that I think will, will be answered. This is not something that will just go by the news. The media in Israel is playing it up uh, as the rightfully. Uh, and if you read the stories of these two guys and you look at them, it just breaks your heart. Yeah, 100%. But when I see a headline, even if it's an opinion piece, that says the IDF is losing the public's trust, is it because of episodes like this or is there more going on that we on this side of the world don't know about? Well, there are always accusations when an incident like this occurred and that there were charges of people before about some things that are going on in the Army. But that is uh, it is natural in these circumstances. The Netanyahu plea deal, is this going to be a reality where he's going to agree to stay out of politics in exchange for some admission of guilt in this whole situation? Look, I think he wants to make a deal while Mandelblit is still the attorney general, which is not for much longer. And um, if he can get a deal that will not see any um, prison terms, something, and he would have a limited time when he would be out. It would be like seven years or something that he would have to stay out of politics and uh, out of running for office. Uh, he, he won't stay out of politics, I don't think. And you can understand, you know, when you're facing serious charges, that uh, if he can get a deal, that will enable him to um, perhaps avoid prison and avoid uh, some of the other consequences that it is possible. So I think that the reports are accurate in, in terms of the, the discussions that are ongoing. I don't know what the conclusion will be. And uh, let's see, how old is he today? He's a... Uh, 70. 72, so I mean seven years out of politics. You have to assume that that would basically mean, you know, he's not re-entering politics. And is he allowed... And I mean, I know the plea deal is obviously not finalized yet. We're just conjecturing. Uh, but when you say he can't run, that means as part of a party list as well, like he can never be a member of Knesset or not necessarily as long as he's not at the top of a ticket? I don't know. They have not revealed the, the, the details, but I would assume that it means no... No elective office, but staying out of politics does not mean that he can't, you know, be involved in Likud uh, and internal workings. And he's still the most popular leader there by far. And you saw that even in the in the general um, polling that's done, Likud still ends up being the largest party. 
I wonder if he would have handled things differently over the last couple of months in Israel if he was still in power. Uh, I don't know if the prime minister really can be blamed at this point already because I don't think anybody knows what to do with this whole variant thing. And now the red countries are no longer red, and now things have opened up. And I'm assuming you know of people who have already traveled to Israel. I don't know how difficult it is. Is is there? A de- there must be still a degree of difficulty, right, in terms of applications and PCR tests, etc. I would guess. No, it's simplified a lot. But the, uh, the the problem is that there isn't a surge that some had expected of all the pent-up demand. There is, a, I believe, a lot of pent-up demand. I do believe we will see it February, March, April, that people will start going again. I hope for Pesach people will go. Uh, people are still reluctant to travel, and that has to do with the United States, has to do with every other country, people going into planes, even though airplane air filtration is usually better than general. Um, and, you know, People uh, are waiting to see. They, a lot of people would have gone over Hanukkah and had a, uh, and, uh, the time off in December. So I think now people will start rebooking, and it's usually not a week or two. You need a lack time till you actually see it manifest in the number of people going. A lot of people are, you know, next week's yeshiva break for a lot of, and there'll be yeshiva breaks, you know, from now till the end of January for different right. schools. And a lot of people are choosing interesting destinations, but they're finding out that if they test positive, the regulations in these countries and these areas of the world could be really strict. I mean, people could really end up being, I don't want to scare anyone, but people could really end up being isolated for a period of time if they end up, you know, getting this thing. And we know the transmission level is very, very high. So as you just pointed out, it's not just Israel. People are reluctant to get on a plane to go anywhere at this point. And, you know, if you get stuck in Israel and have to be isolated or hospitalized, it's one thing if you're in some, you know, um, more remote place yeah. and you think of having to be stuck there for five, six days if you're quarantined. And then if you're with a group, the whole group gets quarantined. The consideration that all of us take when we plan trips and, and try to anticipate all of the options. Unbelievable. Um, what do you know about this rocket attack on the U.S. Embassy in Iraq? It is part of a continuing series of incidents involving uh, Iranian-backed militia groups. They are trying to drive the United States' remaining 2,500 troops out of Baghdad. There is still the uh, commemoration of the second anniversary of the killing of Soleimani, you know, who was uh, almost a, son, a second son to, uh, or a special son to the Supreme Leader. He was one of those who helped build the IRGC. He, he also... Uh, structured their involvement in Iraq and Syria and elsewhere, and um, very interesting things that have uh, taken place. As, as you know, although they are um, holding commemorations and they idealize the guy and they blame the United States, and you know they even did a video contest, an uh, artistic contest, and the video showing the killing by a UAV, uh, a drone, um, a weaponized drone in Mar-a-Lago killing President Trump and Secretary of State Pompeo, both of whom have additional security now. But the Supreme Leader himself said it publicly and threatened the president and anybody else who had a hand in in this and that they have their warrants were issued for 127 people, including 51 Americans. They are, um, you know, they built a statue in Iraq, uh, not in Baghdad, outside, and uh, of Soleimani, and the very same evening, it was burnt down, and the you know the resentment in a lot of the places about these manifestations in Lebanon. There was a reaction to the to the commemorations where the Shiite population obviously participated, but the Sunnis and the others didn't. 
and it's true in in a lot of places they they are using him his uh, that to to rally the people at a time when they are the Iranians are uh, people are more and more um, let's say distanced from uh, from the government and angry at the government and there are demonstrations all the time on every pretext about salaries about wages about uh, inoculations about everything the drought continues to to devastate the economy the currency is is uh, lower and lower uh, but at the same time they are continuing their efforts we saw now the foreign minister of of iran is in china now and negotiating this 25 year deal um they uh are the iranian navy now is being boasted that they have 23 small submarines which i talked about in this show many years ago when they started building them they have basically the iranian navy is very outdated so is the irgc navy but there is really is hit and run operations uh, but they're they're touting all of these things um, to um, you know to to impress the West. Then negotiations in Vienna are, are, do not seem to be moving anywhere, and I hope that that doesn't mean that we will continue to make concessions, but rather that um, we will um, be harder and take a tougher stand because we know what we're dealing with and Iran knows how to manipulate their bazaaris for 3,000 years they've negotiated they know exactly uh, what they're doing and how to do it their activities in South America are skyrocketing and I've just said an aside because I want to make sure that it gets out people should look at what's happening in South America it gets no attention but almost every country is falling to extremist, anti-Israel, even anti-Semitic parties. Chile just elected an, an anti-Semite, an alleged anti-Semite. Uh, Argentina is going down. Bolsonaro is likely not to get reelected. The president of, of Brazil has been very pro-Israel. President of Colombia, very pro-Israel, likely be replaced by somebody hostile. Peru already did. Paraguay did. One country after another. And Iran is in there manipulating this and working with uh, Maduro and with uh, Cuba and others. Iran is inside Hezbollah. It's expanding its activities, doing training and doing, um, using this as a base. Uh, and, and it's, I mean, an hour and a half off our coast. And nobody is paying attention to it. Nobody is talking about this major shift. There was a while when all these pro-American, even pro-Israel governments were being elected. And now we see the complete reversal of that and the explanation for this shift I mean I know things are cyclical in politics but the explanation of all this well, there is some cyclical and because the economic conditions are terrible and because nobody handled COVID well so you always strike out at who's whoever's in power right. and and look for something better even though that doesn't mean necessarily that uh, that they are by the way and and, and when you talk about Iran's expansions in in um, Syria they're building huge facilities in Iran, huge facilities for their nuclear program in Syria for a place where we believe they're going to hide drones. It's in, in an Air Force base, a former Air Force base that was abandoned, more or less, and they took it over. Um, that's why Israel, uh, somebody hit the uh, weapons that were just delivered by Iran in Latakia port, because once it leaves the port, it's harder to track and harder to, to deal with. And also you have Russian presence there. So they did it from the Mediterranean Sea. But it was a very effective strike that uh, eliminated one of the shipments. But we know that Israel took out thousands last year, and they continue to provide and to supply. 
and to um, to manipulate. That's why Hezbollah hosted this, the opposition parties from Saudi Arabia in Beirut this week. You read about it? No. But is it significant? Of course, because you see the effort, their efforts to continue to uh, expand. We saw the explosion at the Hezbollah facilities. We see the people in these countries turning more and more against. If I, just one more thing sure. I just want to tell you about, which I know you will appreciate. There was a study done, a, 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 a sort of a poll that was done by this guy who has 5.9 million followers in, um, on, on the Internet. And they, they asked this, this guy's name was um, Faisal Al-Qasim, and he's a Syrian-born TV host. And these followers on Twitter were asked, which is better, Israel's reputation or Iran's reputation in the Middle East? The polls showed 74.8% said Israel had better reputation. And it's not Israelis who are, right. who are responding. And the next day, Al-Qasim of the Al Jazeera network did a similar survey asking, do you support the Israeli bombing of Iran and its militias in Syria? 77.8% said they supported it. Wow. Right. What does that but, tell, what does yeah, that tell you'll us? You'll never read that in the press. What does that tell us about the men on the street in Iran or uh, or in the entire well, Middle East? Yes, you you when when uh, Israel broadcast to to uh, Iran, it was the most popular foreign broadcast. People in the Iranian people don't necessarily hate Israel. There are many who do. There are many who are Shiite extremists who follow the leader and who who engage in these activities, but. These two polls, and they're not organized by anybody. It's just responses of people, uh, I think, are very telling. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at MalcolmSingle.com and the MalcolmSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Reminder, our two Bishvat special Monday morning between 6 and 9, right here at JM and the AM. What do you make of the uh, New York Times assumption that the United States and Iran are closer to a deal? Yeah, the question is what kind of a deal? You can have a deal which uh, simply says that we're making concessions to them. They are demanding more and more concessions and the release especially of the money from South Korea. And We've seen that some money, it appears, was already released. Uh, which goes back to the pallets of cash uh, image that that uh, we all remember, and the price that we paid for for that uh, being able to support their terrorist activities. It doesn't go to the people; it goes right away to the to the to the supreme leader and the IRGC who control 40 percent probably of the economy today, and who will benefit from it. Um, so the. Um, the, 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 so far in Vienna, we know that there have only been baby steps. There have been no concessions. The Iranians are on circles around uh, around the negotiators. Uh, the United States is only a secondary negotiator, but it's the same people who did the JCPOA who are negotiating in in uh, Vienna. Right. So that a deal, as some sort of a deal, uh, less for less deal, is is likely what they're talking about. Uh, it's funny, though, because it seems from the tone of these articles that, that the assumption is they're closer to a deal than they were a week or two ago, and I, I don't know if that's reality. Um, unless, again, as you said, they're giving in on certain concessions that are just bringing them closer. But uh, it, I don't know. It doesn't seem like we can get a handle on this, about what this final deal is going to look like eventually. We don't know yet what the final deal with us. We fear what the deal could be 
because anything that gives them resources and allows them to break the sanctions and uh, to, to go back to business as usual, believe me, there won't be a second deal. You know, they say that this is the, only the first stage, and then we're going to negotiate the second stage. We're going to put something down. No. The Iranians will get what they want because right now they're getting more money. China is buying a lot of oil from them. They are um, uh, beneficiaries of this, and the, and the money uh, conditions are better for the government than they were. They're not good. They're far from good, but uh, it is better than, than uh, it was. And you see how China is taking advantage of all the things we talked about. Now the foreign ministers of most of the Gulf countries um, uh, are in China right now, uh, and the foreign minister of Iran is there. Um, China is expanding its footprint and doing a lot with uh, with Iran and doing business, etc. So the the um, if, if the deal is really seen as an interim stage, it's going to be a final stage. If they really give any kind of money or sanctions relief without hard concession, other than than just saying that Iran will say, well, we're not going to enrich to 90% anymore, and maybe we'll export what we have up to 90%. It's not the relevant point, because once you have the know-how, which they have now, <clears throat> they can snap back. In the meantime, you saw they launched a ballistic missile this week trying to put a satellite into orbit. They don't care about the satellite. They're doing is testing their ballistic missile capacity. They're not allowed to do it under U.N. sanctions for military and other purposes. So they say, no, we're not doing it for, for that. We're, this is scientific. We had three things on there that there was it didn't make it into orbit but they launched and they are all the time gaining knowledge and advancing their capacity and so you know we get easily misled we don't understand what the 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 significance of of Iran's planning careful planning advancing their their cause all the time even though there is increasing resistance to them we saw that the Syrian president is reaching out to the gulf Maybe because they want to try and get, line up the Sunnis to help them um, get rid of Iran, or at least minimize Iran's presence in uh, in Syria, and to he never he didn't trust them before, and he certainly doesn't trust them now to to um, to to build get alternative relationships. So the very complex picture and, is that the reason is that the reason we keep reading about normalization possibilities between Israel and Libya. Or that's uh, outside of the realm of what the Iranians are doing. That's separate, but it it does reflect that the that people uh, countries believe that you, the path to the United States path to normal positions is uh, rooted in having a relationship with Israel. Also, they know that they can benefit a lot. I, I, Libya needs the water reclamation, Israel's energy projects, all of that are relevant to them. I wouldn't look tomorrow for Libya and Israel to have relationships, but. The head of the Shin Bet met with the prime minister of uh, of Libya. It's a very uh, unstable situation, and you have ten countries fighting in there. The Russians are there, the Iranians are there, the Turks are there, the Egyptians. Everybody's involved there. It's not a very stable situation, but I think that uh, they want to improve their relationship with the United States, with others, and. Israel is a key to that. So it's not happening in the immediate future. But would you say it's a more stable situation in Libya than it was five, ten years ago? Like, uh, is, is it much, much different than then, or very similar to then? No, I think it's it, under Gaddafi it was stable, but it was a stable dictatorship. Right. Now it's unstable. And, but more democratic? Uh, <laughs> no. 
not democratic, but more, what would you say? It's less stable, but more. Well, you have more competition. You have more parties uh, fighting, but the situation there is, is very bad. The economic situation, people, the plight of the people, the um, um, cost of the, all, all this conflict, and it's not. It, it you know it, it may be a, on a lower flame, but it's not stable at all. Finally, two bishvatas on Monday. Uh, the tree planting controversy in the Negev. Now it always seems to be a problem when uh, Israel wants to or JNF KKL wants to plant trees, uh, especially this time of year, depending on where they are. And I know the Negev is is we haven't spoken about this in a long time. Uh, the Negev is one of the present and future hotspots when it comes to uh, I guess we'd say Israeli sovereignty right because the it, it, because Israel if they're not careful with the way things are happening in the Negev they could lose some of that area um, and I, I think you know what I mean by that with the Bedouin presence and with the squatters that are that are in that area of Israel so what what is this tree planting controversy and is how will Israel emerge from it well, first of all, the, you, you rightly point to the broader situation of what's happening in the Negev. Uh, Israel wants to develop the Negev, building high, uh, the high-speed railroad, wanting to connect Beersheba to Tel Aviv, and et cetera, because it is uh, room for expansion for Israel. The Israeli population is growing, um, and uh, the, they moved the cyber center to, to the Negev, other things, uh, the developments that have happened there. Uh, but in, in all this time, quietly, the Bedouin population continues to expand, they, and they take land illegally, um, state-owned land. Uh, they don't pay taxes. They, don't, uh, um, they operate by their own rules, basically. And the government, uh, one of the ways to, to, to address it is to build cities and to move them into it, which have defined boundaries or communities that have defined boundaries, and as I understand it, and to um, right. uh, at the same time, they are living in Israel, and they have to be provided with services and what they're entitled to as well. Here, they have a, a the tree planting is also a way of creating boundaries. It's also essential in the Negev, and they had this tree planting ceremony, which uh, involved the KKL. And the the uh, demonstrations were very strong, so they stopped and then they finished it. Now I know the true trees uh, were trees were uprooted um, by Medan protesters to cut out the cut off the source of life, which trees represent, and and uh, containing the soil erosion and so many other things is really uh, terrible. And you can't just have people making their own rules, their own laws, uh, because we could lose good parts of the Negev. Right. Uh, you know, they could someday just declare a separate state or something. Uh, although Bedouins serve in the army and Bedouins uh, contribute to Israel, and it's not a blanket uh, uh, situation that, that, and condemnation, but it's a reality about the, the shift, the demographic, demographic and topographic shift in the, in the Negev. And it, it, governments didn't address it, didn't have foresight people, you know, spoke to me about this for many, many years already, and warned about it, and warned because they wanted to avoid a, 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 a clash with them, and they could cross. Bedouin would cross across the border from Israel. It's almost impossible to stop. They know better than anybody how to do it, and they know the Negev better, uh, the deserts. So it's it's uh, this will be an ongoing situation. Uh, any other updates before I let you go, Malcolm? Ukraine or anything else you want to tell us about quickly? 
No, we're in touch with the Jews in the Ukraine. Um, one of the things that did happen was a, a really an affront to everyone, and that was the presence at the the um, inauguration of the president uh, of um, uh, but the presence of Mohsen Rezaei, who's one of the five Iranians accused of being behind the bombing of the Amiyah, the Jewish community center, was present at the swearing-in of Daniel Ortega in uh, in uh, Managua. And he, this chutzpah and the presence of this guy, who was responsible for 85 people were killed in that uh, bomb, uh, truck bomb attack at the um, uh, Amiyah Jewish community center, and there's a red notice that Interpol has against him, and yet here he appears publicly in this ceremony, which tells us that the, they're, not, they're not taking it seriously, Interpol isn't taking it seriously, and they are sending a message with it that should be a warning. Wow. Uh, I thank you as usual. We'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great Shabbos and be well. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us. Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Everybody, you didn't schedule to join us from Israel. Plenty more coming up. Erev Shabbos Shira, JM in the AM.
Yeah, we did it in hour number one this morning. We're doing it in hour number three this morning as well. Arye Kunstler and Oz Yashir. Yossi Green with Leigh Vavos before that. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM and the AM. Candlelighting at 432 in New York. 432 is candlelighting time. Monday, don't forget, is Tu Bishvat. Monday will be Tu Bishvat. I do want to mention before I introduce Rabbi Yudin, who Baruch Hashem is with us from Israel, which is always extra special when he speaks to us live from Israel. I want to mention that today our... Um, presentation of Rabbi Yudin's Dvar Torah for Parshas B'Shalach is being dedicated to the memory of Noach Yosef ben Menachem Mendel. His yard site is now. It's Noach uh, Yosef ben Menachem Mendel and his neshama should have an aliyah. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Malcolm. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Um, for us in Erev Yisrael, it's good afternoon. And I can only tell you that whereas a week ago I was sitting on the Merpesset, without a, a jacket or a sweater. Today, it is pouring, literally raining all day. And it's so different when it rains here. You appreciate, literally, called tipa utipa, every drop. Not only that, it's not only that you think of the psukim at the end of Akev, whereby the Torah tells us that Eretz Yisrael is not like Mitzrayim, which has its water available to it, but rather Eretz Yisrael is dependent on the rain, that even rain becomes a religious experience and feeling. And you think of the Mishnah in the fifth paragraph of Avos, whereby the Mishnah teaches Lokidu, you go outside in the rain and you stop for a moment and you pause and you realize it's not drizzling, it's coming down. And the rain did not in the past extinguish the fire outside on the Mizbeach in the Besamintash and you stand there and the rain and you realize, wow, in Hashem, we will be privileged to experience this miracle again. Okay, tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas Bishalach. And it is such an exciting Pasha. 
but it contains only one mitzvah. According to the Chinuch, it's one uh, restrictive mitzvah, namely the mitzvah of Tchumid, not to leave one's rishus, one's domain, and that's too difficult to define and too interesting a topic, not for now, that concept of Shabbos. This Shabbos is a Shabbos of Amuna. You find throughout the parsha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, remember, Hashem milochem lochem, it is Hashem that will please God fight for you in Mitzrayim, Yatim Tacharishon, and you will be silent. The Torah records this, not just to tell us of our history, but the Torah reminds us that this is the way we function throughout our history, bringing us to our destiny. It is He who fights for us. Yes, we need Sahal. We'll talk about it. We need to do our Ishtadlus. But ultimately, Hashem Yilochim Lochem. He is the one who fights for us. You find the actual Kriyas Yamsuf, Rosa Shifcha Alayam. Even the maid servant was privileged to see at the time of the splitting of the sea that which even the Nevi'im, and specifically the Navi. Yechezkel, she saw at that moment even more than the Novi Yechezkel would see in the Maisha Merkava. Wow, as it says by Aminu Bashem, Ramosha Abdo, there was an incredible sense of emuna, of faith that the Jewish people had. And after the Kriyat Yamsuf comes the parsha of the month, whereby the Torah tells us <coughs> that B'nai Yisrael needed sustenance and HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally rained down Lechem Min HaShamayim. And we have to ask ourselves, Within the entire 30 Samad Sukin of the Pasha of Mun, there is not one mitzvah which is Lidoros. It was all what is known as Hora It was a teaching for the moment. The Torah says, don't leave over one day for the next. If you left over, again, you were violating a Torah law but it was not one of the 613. Of course, by definition, one of the 613 has to be for all eternity. So we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, why is this even in the Torah? Now, one answer is very, very clear and important, and that is just as God nourish, sustained, provided for them in the desert. And it was clear that it was he who was doing the providing, and it was done 
in a miraculous way, so too are we to learn that our sustenance and that he provides for us is no less miraculous. The fact that we <coughs> recite a bracha, hamotzi lechem, mino aretz, is no less miraculous than hamotzi lechem min hashamayim. The Shulchan in Simon Aleph tells us, Tov Lomar, it's worthwhile. It's good to say, Parshas Ha'akeda and Parshas Hamon every day. And Rabbeinu Bachayo writes that it's a Kabbalah beyond Chachamim. Whoever recites Parshas Hamon, Yom daily, Muftach Lo is assured, he will never come, he'll never lack sustenance. Now, it doesn't mean, my friends, that you should simply recite the 30 sukim of Pasha Samuel found towards the end of Pasha's Bishalah. What it means is one should pause and reflect and take to heart and realize that their parnasa comes from Hashem. And interestingly, as we find in conjunction with the man, the Torah says, Hamarbe, the one that took more, lo this, ultimately didn't have more. Bahamamit, and the one that took less, lo did not have less. Ultimately, everybody had an omer's worth of mud. Another one of the many miracles which were associated with the mud. Clearly to show very, very precisely where our sustenance comes from. And as the Gemara tells us in Thomas, that's Chess Man Yohiv Chaye, Yohiv Mizone, the one that gives life is the one that provides our sustenance for the life that He has given us. And just as when it comes to the lifespan of each and every individual, the Torah says, Es Mispar Yonecha Amale. Every day and every moment that's coming to you, we get so too regarding our parnasa. Whatever is coming to us, we get. And don't think that because a competitor opened up a block or two away, it's going to have any effect upon your livelihood. Reminder to everybody that we're taught. We say it in the Sanatokar. Belosh Hashanah It's written on Rosh Hashanah. And it's sealed on Yom Kippur. Be your share and be your need. Exactly how much we're going to have. 
And by the way, the Gemara in Beitza very important teaches you that Mizonosov shall Adam Kitsuvin literally how much money you're going to earn has been determined upstairs. Chutz, except for that which you spend for Shabbos. If you go out of your way to make Shabbos even nicer, even more special, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will find a way to make sure that you get that back. But I have to add one very important Nikuda. There's no question that we have to do our Ishtadlus, which means that we have to put in our effort. This is based upon the Pasuk in Chapter 3 in Bereshis, whereby HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Adam, Zeas Atecho Tukhalechem. The man has to take and participate in the, his earning, his livelihood. However, very, very important that we pause when we read Parshas Hamon and Parshas Parnosa, that a person can't think that if I put more time in to my business, I'm going to make more money. We have to do our ishtadlus, no question. But God forbid a person should have a schedule that I can't dive in with a minion because I have to go to work. I can't put time into my day or night because I have to work. I can't put time for Talmud Torah. Something is very wrong with that philosophy. Just the opposite. We are assured, Rabbi Rebachaya writes, that the more a person connects to Torah, the more a person connects to Ruchmias, to spirituality, the greater is going to be the ease in which they're going to earn their livelihood. There's no question about it that we have to work, especially keep in mind the Gemara in Shabbos, which tells us the six questions that we're going to be asked in Hashem after 120 years. The first question is, the Sosa, the Rosato, the Emuna, were you honest in business? And the second question is, Kovata Itimatora, did you set aside time for the study of Torah? Wait a second. Shouldn't the question of Talmud Torah come first after all? That's what we put here in this world. And the answer, I believe, is so powerful. And that is, if a person realizes why I am working, I am working an honest living so that I can earn money to send my children to yeshiva, that I don't have to ask for a scholarship, that I can pay for others to go to yeshiva. I am working that I should have money for tzedakah, that I can support institutions of mikvah and erev and yeshivos and hospitals and all other 
worthy institutions. By so thinking, one elevates his working to Bukhol, to Rachecha, to Eyu, all which we do, we can infuse with godliness. First question, did you work the emuna? Did you infuse emuna into your work? And finally, let's conclude with two bishvat, this Sunday night and Monday. What does that mean, two bishvat, the new years of the tree? The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells us that the sraf, the sap in the tree, begins to rise. Think of it. Rise, that's going against gravity. It's going against the fact that everything else goes down. Here, this is going up. Why? To remind us, to teach us that it's not the farmer who has done everything that he can to make sure that the environment for the growth and success of the trees is the best that it can be. Of course, he has to do his. But ultimately, it all comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It rises in a fashion that nobody can understand, except for us to realize, wow, how privileged and how fortunate we are. I take this opportunity of wishing everybody not just well, but wishing everybody Hatzmacha, especially this week in Parnassa. But I really believe means were you honest in business? And I'd like to suggest to put a Muna into the business and thereby you're working the hours of the day that you so do, they become as well elevated with Kedusha. Shabbat Shalom to all. Pharaoh, listen to me. The Egyptian world, it's a mess. Life in the desert is better than anything you've got here. You see, we don't want to be here. There's so much that we can't take. Our people have been mistreated, and that was a big mistake. The world that you see around you, soon it will be no more. So now I have come to warn you, we want to go out the door into the sea. Into the sea, go through the sand and into the land of milk and honey. In Egypt, they work us night and day, so in their land we cannot stay. We're letting you know our people must go now into the sea. <laughs> Joseph came on down to Egypt, that is because he was sold. He saved all Egyptian people because of dreams he foretold. But now you forgot our people who saved you from famine's fate. Guess you just did not remember who put food right on your plate. Into the sea, into the sea. Though you may beat us, you cannot defeat us. Take it from me. Our sons you threw into a brook. Once past the sea, we off the hook. You take the Saurus, we'll do it the Horus into the sea. Into the sea. 
One of our favorite Shabbos Shira Parshas B'Shalach songs, Into the Sea from Schlock Rock. It's JM in the AM. Good morning, everybody. Candle lighting at 432 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. At 9 a.m. this morning, 20 minutes from now, we'll start the next edition, the next brand new show of Table for Two. Last week, Naomi Nachman came back strong for the uh, month of January in the year 2022 uh, with a wonderful debut 2022 program of Table for Two, and that will continue each and every week, uh, or I should say most weeks. It'll continue most weeks uh, whenever Naomi is available to uh, do a new show, which uh, she has scheduled now for the majority of the time. Uh, she'll be on every single Friday between 9 and 10, which means right after JMM and right before uh, the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show with um, with Mark Zamek. Naomi Nachman, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachman. How are you? All right. The Aussie Gourmet is on. She's back. Uh, you, have a time, <laughs> you, you have a time slot you've had here for many, many years at 9 a.m. Friday morning, and I'm proud to say that as of last week, that time slot is being utilized as best as possible. What do you think of – let's start with last week because I want to give a shout-out to those guests you had on. What do you think of last week's show? What was the lineup like last week at 9 a.m.? Well, last week was action-packed. I, I, I've actually texted Nachum in advance, like, Nachum, I'm worried about it going overtime because we've got <laughs> such right. a full show, you know, supersized. I called it Table for Two Reboot. You know, right. I was off the air for four months after being on the air almost, you know, every week except for summer hiatus for nine and a half years. Right. But for personal reasons, I, had, I needed to take some time off, and um, you're so gracious about it. And it just was amazing to be back with ZK, doing shows, talking to people, talking to the listeners. Um, we had Shani Seidman, who is actually going to, um, uh, who's sponsoring. She's part of the Heaven and Earth team, um, and they are sponsoring. We have a sponsor segment, um, which is brand new for 2022. It's called What's Cooking, and we're going to go through different products uh, throughout the hour of well throughout the month we're going to feature different products on per show right and we started off with some heaven and earth stuff because it's kind of like a healthy brand 
So we figured a new year, new healthy, you know, choices. So we went with that. So Shani came on and spoke. And next month we'll have um, a different set of amazing products to share with everyone. Um, then we had Cookie Cohen. Uh, Cookie is from Brooklyn, and she has this amazing line of salad dressings. So she came on the show, and we did, like, she bought a vegetable platter, so we basically sampled, like, all these vegetables and different dips. It was great. Everyone had a had a good time. It was like, Zico's very happy because he had a healthy lunch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I'm <And> sure. <laughs> Alex Rappaport from Aspear. We spoke about our trip out to Mayfield, Kentucky, to help with the tornado relief. And then we had Ari Markowitz from Prime Nash, who sends kosher meat across the country. So winter break's coming up, and you need... You know, steak sent somewhere that you can't have a that doesn't have a kosher supermarket. He can ship it straight to your Airbnb or your hotel or wherever. All so right, so let, let's 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 do a, let's do a couple of things then in review of last week. Number one, as you mentioned, uh, it's heaven heaven and earth is the sponsor of the What's Cooking segment, and that'll air every yeah. single week whenever you have a new show. Uh, so we yeah. should we should point that out and give them a big shout out. They deserve it, and a big thank you to them. And um, and the other thing was that uh, you look, you went with the folks of Maspia, you went down south to help with hurricane relief. You saw what they did with the Bronx fire earlier in the week. I think you and I have yeah. to just acknowledge the incredible volunteers from our community that reached yeah. out and helped out other communities over the last few weeks. It's been unbelievable. The press coverage that we got for Mayfield, Kentucky was unbelievable, but that must be a got. You know, some of these people have never seen a Jew before. Right. You know, they were in their overalls and, you know, very, really, very much a southern accent. But can I just tell you a really great story what happened when sure. we we're out there? Yeah, of course. So we were touring around. Buck Shelton was one of the, um, he's actually running for office, local office there, government office. And he goes, I'm, I'm going to take you all around, you know, me and my Australian accent and their, with their Kentucky accents to show you some of the destruction. We're like, oh, great. We, we, we wanted to see and we wanted to help out. So right before we got in the car, a lady comes over to me and my daughter, Gabby, who came with me, and she pulled us over and she gave us um, Hanukkah guilt. <laughs> she, she goes, my grandma was Jewish, so I know all about You just had y'all had Hanukkah, so here's some Hanukkah guilt for you. Wow. I thought that was so special. A- so, you know, I jumped out the car, gave her a big thank you and a hug, and it was it was amazing. She, so, felt, she felt connected to the fact that she, she felt. Wow. That's really cool. The Pintilla Yid. My mother always talks about the Pintilla Yid. We just touched someone's life who had a Jewish connection. It no was just, question about it. It was such a Kiddush Hashem. And then what Alex, I could not go up to the Bronx Fire this week um, to the uh, to help out with the volunteers after the fire, I should say. And he's he's amazing. Alex Rappaport is just absolutely incredible. If people want to volunteer or donate, they can always reach out to Maspia. Yeah, it must be an amazing job. Alex, amazing job. And boy, locally here, this Bronx story was uh, incredible how he coordinated things and helped out. Uh, Naomi Nachman's with us. Table for Two is brand new, coming up 15 minutes from now. Naomi, tell us what to expect on today's show. Oh, my God. Today's show is, is hilarious because... I had I have a I had a smaller lineup than last week because that was like four four guests for the new for the new reboot. Right. But this this time I have uh, Saul Taylor who's going to be on this morning. Um, he actually is a um, religious guy who makes whiskey in Scotland and he imports special wine caskets, kosher wine caskets, to store them in while they age. Now, if you want to hear the whole thing, I'm not doing it any justice. You've got to listen to his interview, especially <laughs> those guys who like a good whiskey. So that that was amazing. And then, so I had a whiskey sampling. I'm not the biggest whiskey drinker, even though I did 
Davin at Mizrahi Shul in Lower East Side. <laughs> That's an um, indication, huh? Right. Oh, Mizrahi Shul in Sydney, Australia. Um, so I made him a cocktail. So but, um, Bar Simcha, he's a guy who comes around and makes cocktails. He's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. Um, Issy Steinhardt. So he um, mixes and pours drinks and does at parties. So he gave me a cocktail idea to make for Saul. So he made, gave me shots and I gave him a cocktail. Cool. Very cute. Yeah. And then Rory Weisberg, uh, full and free on Instagram, is coming out with an art school cookbook. Everyone is waiting very anxiously for it. And then with winter break coming up, I had to have Michelle Sacker. You've had her on your show on Jamie in the AM. She's otherwise known as the Miami food enter. Yeah, she knows she it knows, all. <laughs> she knows it all. Um, so she was on the show as well because we needed we needed a, a nice roundup for winter break, which is coming up so fast. I so know. A lot, a lot of people heading down to both next week, about, yeah, next week and the week after. And uh, uh, the native Floridians, they are, uh, I think they're bracing for a big invasion, frankly. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think they feel they're going to be going out to eat those uh, 10 days. I can tell you that they're, much. No. Naomi Nachman, uh, coming up at 9 o'clock. Uh, she's joined by Rory Weisberg of Rory's Full and Free Dough Mixes. Saul Taylor, co-founder of DS Tame and Scotch Whiskey. And as you heard, the Miami uh, Food Yenta, Michelle Saka as well. Naomi, great to have the new shows on. Thank you so Thank much for you. that. We should again mention uh, Heaven and Earth. They're doing the uh, What's Cooking segment each week. Uh, whenever you have a new show on, you'll uh, be able to hear that segment sponsored by Heaven and Earth. And anything else you would like to add, Naomi? I'm really excited to be back on the air. I really missed the four months. I felt like there was a void in my life. Thank so you. I'm very happy to rock and roll. We've got shows basically almost, maybe except for two. I sent Malcolm and DK the new schedule last night. I think there's almost a show every week, maybe except for two from now till Pesach. Yeah, so, which is pretty cool. This is the time of year um, to do it, and we're really happy about it. Yeah, yeah. And we've got two Adars, so that means more shows. Right. Naomi, thank you. Good luck today, and uh, have a wonderful thank Shabbos. You. And we should have thank a great. Thank you. Thank you. We should have a great season together. Naomi Nachman, Aussie Gourmet, table for two. Been a long stretch of time. She's with us a long time, and still producing amazing, great, brand new shows. As you hear, enjoy today's everybody. It's on between nine and ten. ZK will have the video up on the website at NachumSiegel.com, and of course, the archive available all the time. With the number of people that have contacted me over the last couple of months, where's Naomi? Where's Naomi? I would assume that both last week um, and now this week uh, you will uh, see big numbers uh, on her programs because uh, there's been a uh, a strong desire to have her back here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And uh, everyone tune in. You will be able to hear her between 9 and 10 this morning right here after JM and the AM. More coming up as we get set for Shabbos Shira and Tu Bishvat this coming Monday here at JM and the AM. Malachem, <laughs> 
Avraham Avram Freed with Shalom Aleichem on this era of Shabbos. 
Candlelighting 432 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are, of course. Do not forget that uh, Shabbos is still very early these days. <laughs> Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JMN.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up another great week here at JMNAM, and I thank all of you for tuning in. Don't forget, we have incredible programming coming up. Brand new Naomi Nachman Table for Two is next. Mark Zamek, Ketan presentation of the Erev Shabbos show between 10 and 1. Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem all day long. Final hour at 3.30 Eastern time brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. All this is in archives, by the way. All of these things are available in the archive section. Check it out at MalcolmSiegel.com and, of course, on the NSN app. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler. Sunday, it's um, JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Thank you, Matis. Everyone tune in Sunday morning. And Monday is our Tu B'Shvat special here. Have a fabulous, wonderful Shabbos and weekend. Until uh, Monday morning, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.